I ain't got no quarrel with them Viet Cong. Those words have come to symbolize Muhammad Ali's opposition to the Vietnam War, and more specifically, his opposition to a government that would draft young black men and send them, in his words, 10,000 miles from home to drop bombs and bullets on brown people in Vietnam while so-called Negro people in his hometown of Louisville were treated like dogs and denied simple human rights. Now, Ali knew that his service in the military would not put his life at risk, that he, like his predecessor in the ring, Joe Lewis, would be trotted out as part of the Army's public relations campaign in order that he might drum up public support for the war, But Ali wasn't willing to play their game. He wasn't willing to suffer on their behalf. So on April 28, 1967, when Ali reported for his scheduled induction into the military, three times he refused to step forward when his name was called. It cost him. It cost him his heavyweight title. It cost him his license to fight in the ring, and it largely cost him the esteem of white America. Ali believed that a government that was asking black men and boys to suffer for the sake of their country couldn't do so if they were unwilling to recognize those men's basic humanity. So he refused to take part. These days, as we remember the great champion, Ali is celebrated more as an accomplished athlete and a beloved hero. But sports commentator Dan Lebetard has noted more than once that Ali only became popular when Parkinson's disease robbed him of his voice. Today, in our reading from Philippians we hear what the Apostle Paul has to say to those who are asked to suffer. God has graciously granted you the privilege of not only believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. Those are Paul's words to the Philippian Christians who faced persecution because of their faith. But I wonder what Paul would say to Muhammad Ali. What would the white Christian preachers of the 20th century, who so often used Paul to reinforce their worldview, what would they say to the man whom they insisted on calling Cassius Clay? What would a present-day preacher like me, a privileged white man who stands in a pulpit insulated from the rallies and riots and racial strife of our day and so far untouched by the ravages of a pandemic, what would I dare to say about Paul's exhortation to suffer and to count that suffering as a God-given privilege? Sometimes, Words only make sense to the people to whom they were originally spoken. Maybe Paul has nothing to say, nothing to say to those who are asked to fight and die for a country that treats them as second-class citizens. 
nothing to say to those who are asked to submit obediently to the police who murder them with impunity. Nothing, perhaps, to say to those who are sent into poultry plants and slaughterhouses in the midst of a pandemic because a chicken in every pot is still the American way. But Philippians is in our holy book. And no matter what Paul intended, his words are still proclaimed in our congregations right here as if those words belong to the Lord. So I think it is our obligation, our duty as people of faith and as citizens in a predominantly Christian society to wrestle with these ancient words and to see if they have anything to say to us and to our world. What could make these words of Paul good news not only for a privileged few, but for everyone? What must be true about Paul and his circumstance and about the Philippians and their circumstance? What must be true about the love they had for each other in order for these words of the apostle to be received not as a violation of their friendship, but as the hopeful encouragement of a beloved friend? In part, I think Paul's words rang true because they were written not from a place of individual security, but from a place of mutual struggle. Although Paul's chains were consequences of his own free choices, the shackles that he wore were not merely for show or rhetorical effect. As we hear in the opening of the passage we heard today, Paul's life hung in the balance. A man who had enjoyed the freedom and privilege of Roman citizenship now faced the real possibility of death at the hands of the empire. Now, one's own experience of suffering does not, in and of itself, give someone the authority to command others to endure their own suffering. But I think Paul's credibility on this point comes from something even deeper. Paul wrote to the Philippians not only as one who had endured hardship, but as one who recognized that his own suffering had become the source of his friends' struggle, that their grief was the result of seeing Paul's grief. Paul wanted to relieve his friends of that burden. He wanted them to see that if he was able to count his suffering as a gift of God, a privilege for Christ's sake, then they too could endure whatever hardship they faced by recognizing it as their own gift of God. Now that might be words of comfort for Paul's friends in Philippi where he had worked alongside them. But where do we find comfort and encouragement in those words today? The critical struggle that we face here and now is not figuring out how to count as holy the sympathetic suffering we endure on behalf of our friends, people who look like us and talk like us and live on the same side of town as us. We're all too good at that. And we certainly don't need any help telling those who endure hardships that they should count their suffering as a privilege that God has ordained for them. That has been our besetting sin for millennia. If we are to find real and universal encouragement in these words of Paul, 
We can only hear that encouragement when we, with God's help, begin to unwrap and upturn our understanding of privilege itself. When we stop thinking of privilege as a gift that is supposed to shield us from suffering and start thinking of it as an obligation that propels us into suffering for the sake of others, then we will know why these words of Paul are such words of hope. Now, Paul may not have understood privilege in the same way that we do, as an accident of birth that we might devote to the work of the gospel, but Paul did understand the ways in which living in Christ reoriented the believer's engagement with the world. For those whose faith trained sight remains focused on the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus, whatever suffering we experience in this life is not seen as an obstacle to our union with God, but as a means by which we share in the resurrection of the one who suffered on our behalf. For if God is with us, who could be against us? If Christ is on our side, who could ever condemn us, no matter what suffering we endure? It is with that confidence of faith that Paul is able to proclaim later on in this same letter, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. That resurrection power is available to us as well. It is given to those who have faith enough even to suffer and die. If those of us whose religion has been a shield from our own suffering and the suffering of others cannot empty ourselves of that privilege and begin to embrace the privilege even of suffering, then we have not known the power of Christ's resurrection. And without knowing that power, we cannot live lives worthy of the gospel. Paul has so much to say to us. But we can't hear what he's trying to say if we pretend that his words were written today. Instead, we must ask the Holy Spirit to help us hear afresh those words that were written so long ago. Paul does not. Paul cannot ask people who suffer for the sake of unholy systems of oppression, to dress that suffering up as if it were a gift from God. But he can and he does invite those of us who live with the comfort of earthly privilege to consider the ways in which our faith in the God of Jesus Christ requires us to set aside our own invulnerability and pursue suffering for the gospel's sake. While those of us who have been insulated from the suffering of others cannot rightly claim kinship with those whose suffering we now seek to undo, we can, with God's help, begin to recognize how we are called not to withdraw from that suffering, but to embrace it. How we, like Paul, might even call our own suffering a gift from God a privilege that we bear for the sake of others.